Well, hello and welcome to episode 100 of the EDM podcast. If you're new to this podcast, my name is Sam Matler and this is a show where I interview successful artists and industry experts. Today's episode is a very special episode for two reasons. First, it's episode 100. That is a milestone and we've reached it. It's been about three years. Started this podcast back in August 2015, I think it was. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened to the EDM podcast, especially those of you who have listened from the start. We would not have reached this number without your support, so thank you. The second reason why this is a special episode is because we've got an awesome guest, Haywire. I'm sure you've all heard of him. If you haven't, go check out his music before listening to this podcast because it's going to provide a lot of context and you're just going to fall in love with his music. He's an extremely skilled producer uh, based in Wisconsin. He's released a huge body of work. Just go to his website to see what I'm talking about. He's had millions of views across YouTube and he's truly an artist who pushes the boundaries of electronic music. And I am stoked to have him on for this episode of the EDM podcast. Here's what we talk about. Why Haywire is so productive and prolific and how you can be the same way. How to make more melodically and harmonically complex music and the answer is not what you think. We talk about his workflow, how he approaches the track, how he makes it from start to finish and we also talk about the template uh, or the template that he uses in Ableton. We talk about how Haywire uses vocoders and if you know, you've heard his music before, you'll know that he is a big fan of using vocoders. We talk about how vocoders work and how you can use them well. We also talk about how to get into live performance and advice on doing that along with much more. Now because this is episode 100 and because it's Haywire, we've put together something special for everyone listening to this. If you've been producing for under two years or you still consider yourself a beginner producer, then we're giving you 20% off our flagship course, EDM Foundations. Basically, EDM Foundations is a hands-on practical course that helps you master the fundamentals of music production by completing four projects. Over 1,700 producers have enrolled in this course. Many of them have had great results. So if you're interested in really mastering the basics of music production so that you can get on with finishing your own music, this is for you. All you need to do is head on over to edmfoundations.com, choose your package and use the code HAYWIRE at checkout. That's HAYWIRE spelled H-A-Y-W-Y-R-E. Again, you'll get 20% off and you also get free updates. We redo this course once per year completely uh, from scratch with new projects. So you're not just getting access to this version, but also all the future versions we make without having to pay any extra. Again, that's edmfoundations.com, code HAYWIRE at checkout. Any questions about this or the course, just email me, sam at edmprod.com. Without further ado, here is HAYWIRE. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Martin, better known as Haywire. How are you, man? 
I can't complain. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm really good. And I'm excited because this is episode 100. Uh, the podcast has been around for about three years. And to have you as the episode 100 guest is an absolute honor. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to this. To kick things off, you know, I think many listeners of this podcast will know who you are, but I'm sure everyone, including myself, would love to hear more about your background. How did you get into music? How did you then get into production? And what's the journey been like so far? Give us an overview. Well, I can't really remember there ever being a time in my life where I wasn't musically involved on some level. Um, my parents enrolled me in lessons when I was fairly long, fairly young. I was about, I think, five years old or so when my parents uh, enrolled me in classical piano lessons. And so, yeah, uh, that was um, essentially the relationship I had with, um, with music for a very long time, up until around age 14 or so. Um, on the side, I definitely uh, enjoyed trying to compose little pieces and stuff. And um, I had a bit of a metal phase too, briefly. And um, I, uh, I was living in Austria briefly before I moved back to uh, the US. And um, after I came uh, where I live now, which is in uh, Milwaukee, um, I uh, started doing jazz piano lessons. And yeah, I think from there, just the excitement around improvisation uh, probably sparked more interest in trying to write my own pieces. And I started exploring electronic music production when I was, um, yeah, about like 14 years old or so. What was that like coming from a classical piano background though? Because I know I've talked to some people who have had the same experience and you could argue that like classical piano is far more structured than making electronic music. Um, and I know some people have struggled with that. Yeah. I mean, um, it's got more history. Um, there's yeah. definitely more structure to it because of that too. Um, there are a lot more right and wrongs in that world. I would, I would argue compared to yeah. um, what electronic music is right now. But um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I definitely had uh, what I would consider a very stereotypical, uh, hard-headed, traditional classical teacher when I was in Austria. Mm -hmm. um, it was definitely a pretty intense experience. And so I think that's why uh, transitioning into jazz was so welcoming to me. Why was it intense? Mm, I think uh, expectations were really high. Um, there wasn't mm -hmm. room for uh, mistakes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can give you an example with a, a small story. Essentially, my teacher was hosting a competition for her students, um, and uh, she called it Punktekunik, which in English means uh, point king. And the point is to, you know, perform in front of all the parents, and the kid that does the best gets first place, and wow. then there's a second and third place too. Um, unfortunately none of the students performed well enough to get first place or second place. <laughs> so there was only a third place and uh, <laughs> most kids left pretty disappointed that day. Um, oh, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a funny example of kind of the mentality um, yeah. that uh, our teacher had. So, so you're doing this and then you, you get into production. Tell us about that. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I was only exploring it um, because initially I just needed a f- to find a way to program uh, drums. Mm. And so I was composing a lot of music on guitar. Um, and so this was uh, during my metal phase. And um, my cousin and I were writing a lot of music together. And we didn't know any drummers. Um, and so we started exploring software that could play the drums for us. And uh, we started off with the free software called hydrogen. Um, I don't know if it still exists. It might. And then from there I was on Google and found FL studio and, and then we just kind of opened up Pandora's box. You know, we started discovering electronic music from there. Um, we found like, noisia and dead mouse and, um, and spore and uh god knows what else um like flying lotus and and all these people that um we had never heard of before and it was super exciting um to just discover this uh world that we didn't know existed and so both of us took to producing a lot in our free time and um i just ended up pursuing it as a career and he didn't (laughs) so what made you want to pursue it as a career was there any like defining moment or was it more of a sort of an evolution to a point where you're like, you know what, this is what I want to do. Definitely a lot of um, um, moments that kind of cumulatively brought me um, to that point. I never knew that I was going to be able to have a career in the first place. Um, So I definitely worked, um, really hard, um, especially during my college years to try to make that happen. But, um, you know, I was trying to keep my doors open and that's part of the reason why I was studying, uh, in the first place, you know, aside from just pursuing, uh, my solo music project. Um, but yeah, I would say definitely a lot of, um, individual kind of moments where I decided, you know, this is something that I really care about. Um, and it would make my life a million times better to see this come to fruition. Yeah. What were some of those moments? Are you talking like album releases, um, events or like certain connections that you made? Mm, honestly, just, um, I would, I would just say moments of self-reflection, um, you know, just being in the studio and, uh, you know, it'd be a typical college night. I'd, it'd be, uh, I don't know, like 10 30 PM or something. And, I would have to decide, okay, do I, do I pass out now, get some good, good night's rest and, you know, wake up at 6am for my classes or do I stay up and try to write this idea that I've had in my head all day? And, um, you know, what if I don't do that, you know? And, uh, um, I don't know, that's kind of like, those are like the, um, fork in the road kind of decisions. I think that you have to keep making over and over and say like, all right, these are the things that I'm willing to sacrifice to, get to where I want to go, you know? Mm-hmm, totally. So in 2009, you released Lotus. Was this like your first kind of body of work? <laughs> uh, yes, it was. And the reason I know this, by the way, is because your website is awesome. You can just go back over this timeline <laughs> and see like these milestones. It's cool. Um, so, so when was that? Were you at college then? Was it before that? Um, at that point I was in high school, so I was, uh, 16 years old. Um, and I had been making a lot of hip hop. I had been kind of introduced to that genre by a few, a few of my friends. 
And that was kind of the main output for me at that moment in time. And uh, yeah, I was just writing a ton of music. And at that age, I just thought what would be something that I could actually present to people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, an album seemed like the way to go. And again, same thing with, uh, um, with, FL, with discovering F FL Studio. I just Googled distribution, found CD Baby, and uh, you know, released my music through them at that time. As far as I can remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, Twofold, when that came out, it did pretty well. Like that was quite popular through Monster Cat. Um, yeah, it did. Um, it was well received. I think it was different than what uh, a lot of Monster Cat uh, fans were yes. listening to at that time. But to me, it was really encouraging to see so many producers that I respected uh, um, responding uh, to its release. Uh, There's... I remember reading tweets from Rob Swire, Noisia, um, and uh, just a, a bunch of other people who I really looked up to. Um, and yeah, it was definitely a, a big moment for me. And so fast forward to now, you have released the Panorama EP not too long ago. Uh, how did that come about? And I also, if you don't mind, there was sort of a break between like on social media and all this kind of stuff, quite a few months of just silence was that because you were busy working on it yeah that's a portion of it definitely um i think it's it's hard to know when you are and aren't working when you're a full-time musician <laughs> yeah uh, yeah uh there's really um a bit of a gray area there um but uh yeah i mean mo most creatives are constantly coming up with ideas and that's basically my work sure. um but uh but yeah i think I had a lot of uh, decisions to make about where I wanted my career to go um, mm. and who I wanted to work with, um, what my ideal uh, you know, community or environment would look like. And, um, and that took a lot of planning and it took a lot of energy. And yeah, it just took me a lot of time to figure out exactly what my next steps were going to be. What were some of those decisions if you know, you don't need to share everything, but like, was it, do I go this path or this path? Or I know for a lot of people, it's like, I could make more money here, but I don't really want to do that kind of work. Sure. Well, I mean, um, I never started pursuing the career that I have now, um, kind of knowing what to expect. Um, mm -hmm. I just enjoyed creating content and, sure. um, and then you kind of get introduced to a lot of other things, responsibilities and just aspects of your career, like, you know, like, I don't know, finances, for example, or um, like we're talking about uh, uh, environment and, and that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I guess I had to figure out for myself, like, wh why is it um, that I'm pursuing music in the first place? You know, what are, what are my priorities here? Um, you know, because for example, especially in today's day and age, um, consistency matters a lot when you're um, a content creator. And so, um, you know, you see YouTube channels posting content every single day and it's speeding up from what I can tell. I mean, I think really some of the most successful content creators are yeah, just putting stuff out every single day. And, um, and I think, you know, of course, my career had been kind of steadily ramping up until that point and i felt a lot of pressure to try to understand okay 
am I willing to like sacrifice some, some quality here? Like how, how much, um, do I let go of that like quality control and, and, and to, um, cater to that, uh, the need for, for content essentially. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's just a, and one of the things that were kind of going through my mind at the time, but, um, yeah, a lot of kind of like micro and macro decisions, um, that had to be made. And, um, and all the while I was, uh, I was also working quite a bit on, on the content as well. So the, the EP itself, how did that come about? Tell us about the process of writing that, creating that. Love to hear about it. Sure. Um, I came up with the concept, um, it is a concept series essentially. So yes, the concept yeah. series is just called Panorama. And as part of that um, series, I'll be releasing uh, six EPs total. Um, right. So it uh, was a work in progress for a long time, um, the idea itself. But um, while I was kind of developing that, I was also writing music, of course. And so I started developing like a fairly large catalog of ideas, um, which I'm sitting on currently. And, um, you know, some of them have now been released on the discovery P, but, um, I just started categorizing them based on where they'd be most relevant. Um, and, uh, you know, based on their, their mood and what, what kind of feelings or, or thoughts might be evoked by the music. And, um, and that's where I'm at now. So now I have a lot of different music that I've placed in these different chapters and I'm trying to refine them, finish them and release them one by one. Six EPs though. Does that not like overwhelm you? Yeah, no, it's definitely overwhelming. And I mean, I had moments, (laughs) I had moments before I was uh, releasing the first one or I had finished the first one. I was like, Oh man, like what I got myself into here. Um, but, uh, that's just, um, I just, uh, I knew that, this was going to be the, the best way to approach it. And um, yeah, I mean, I put my mind to it and now I'm committed to it. And um, I think it's a cool idea. Um, and I think the music is cool. So uh, yeah, there's no reason not to follow through. For sure. Could you explain the concept or the vision of the Panorama Project? Definitely. Um, I don't always do the best job of trying to explain it, but the gist of it is that I wanted to create a concept series that had um, all these different stages of music. Um, so, you know, you can obviously think of it as like, just like a journey and they kind of bring you through these different uh, conceptual explorations of like stories and uh, like archetypal stories, like ideas that, and things we've gone through. And, um, and the idea was to arrange it in a way that could potentially make people learn something about themselves by the end of it. Mm. And uh, so kind of like an exploration of um, like self-discovery through these uh, like concepts, essentially. That's uh, I guess the best I could do if I tried to explain it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I like that. So let's say you're sitting down to work on a new song. How do you approach that? Do you start by playing an instrument? Do you have a concept in your head already what does that look like definitely a lot of my writing happens at my um keyboard my northern stage two um and i'd say definitely the majority of my material starts there but 
I don't know, inspiration can strike anywhere. And it really tends to happen at the most inconvenient times. <laughs> um, often when I'm walking to get coffee or, you know, if I'm meeting up with a friend or something, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with ideas or I'll be in the shower or, you know, it's just uh, usually when I'm just minding my own business, doing something completely unrelated and then, you know, some riff will just pop into my mind. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. But yeah, the tricky part is holding on to that and then uh, re- remembering what it is that you heard and then trying to actually execute it. Do you have like a, a set workflow or does it... I remember you said once in an interview that you had quite an undefined creative process and there's a lot of improvisation, but are there any constants in your workflow, like things you do pretty much every project or processes that you follow? Absolutely. Um, I think if, if you didn't, I don't know really how much content you'd be, you'd be able to get done if you had no uh, consistencies in your workflow. But um, I don't know, I could name a few examples aside from jamming on the piano. Um, you know, I've been developing like the template for um, my music in Ableton and I switched to Ableton from FL Studio precisely for that reason. Um, not because of templates, but because it was just better for my workflow. Um, and uh, the way it's organized is is a bit better in my opinion. But yeah, so um, for example, I have... Uh, it's really bare bones, but yeah. a lot of the um, routing and arranging of, of groups, like for example, I have this uh, drum rack that I've uh, uh, set up. And so I have this um, uh, layer um, that's uh, muted with like a, a dummy track that's linked to where I always have all my drum sounds, like the, the core drum sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I make sure that it's obviously not side chaining to like peripheral percussion, like hi hats yeah. and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, uh, essentially, I just have this template that I rely on pretty heavily to help me um, execute my ideas as quickly as possible. Um, and so I definitely rely on sound design that I've already done, um, plugins that I that I like um, to um, browse through for sounds and, and kind of generate ideas quickly, anything to um, uh, keep that excitement going. And um, yeah, I mean, every time you, you see the idea kind of making progress, um, you see it in a new light and that can generate new ideas and it just can turn into this snowball effect. So, but yeah, I'd say um, that's definitely another consistency in my workflow is uh, is my the template that I've built that I rely on. Well, first question is, do you keep it somewhat bare bones so that you don't restrict yourself creatively? Because I remember when I was a lot younger, I made like a an FL Studio or might have been Ableton or both. Super complex template. Like I had all the tracks laid out instrument wise, synth, you know, synth too. And what ended up happening is I would make like the same song each time because it was just way too airtight. Yeah. And it's difficult because um, boundaries can be inspiring, you know? Um, mm. I mean, t- challenging yourself, for example, to try to write a song out of a single sample, it's like, well, that could be a fun limitation um, yeah, yeah. on yourself. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's all about just being in tune with your, uh, with your workflow and being an understanding of what it is that, you know, excites you and 
how to take advantage of that. When you talked about how you know you can be working on a project and it inspires new ideas and it kind of snowballs, I get that. But what a lot of people struggle with is they'll be working on a project, they get these new ideas. These new ideas don't exactly fit with this project. And so they're tempted to switch to the new one or um, it just gets overwhelming. It's like, I could work on this. I could take it in this direction. Do you mm-hmm. encounter that? And if so, how do you deal with it? Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone approaches those kind of issues differently. I think personally, I always look at it on uh, like a psychological level. Honestly, I think sure. um, a lot of it just comes down to having confidence and self-awareness in mm. what it is that, that I want to do. Um, so for example, if I'm working on a track and um, I've, I've had issues with this recently actually, but you know, if I'm working on a track and I'm losing interest, um, then, you know, there's two options. A, I keep forcing myself to work on it in hopes of having a breakthrough or B, I stop working on it. And, you know, I don't know if there's always a right answer to, mm-hmm. to those two choices. Um, but I've found that doing a little bit of both has been really helpful for me personally. Yeah. Um, as of late, just because of deadlines, I've been a bit worse um, at making those decisions. I've been spending more time on tracks that I'm trying to finish because of the deadlines. Yeah. And so I'm trying to find ways to convince myself, hey, you know, pick up another idea that you liked and see where that can go. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely beneficial to take both approaches because yeah, sometimes you sit there, you force yourself to follow through. And um, before you know it, you've ended up with something totally unexpected that you never thought you were going to create just like an hour ago. Um, but sometimes you just sit there and aimlessly click around and MIDI notes and, and effects and hope for things to come together and nothing happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, long story short, I would say, you know, trust your instincts, but definitely a little bit of both is, uh, is what I've noticed tends to help me. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And I think if you just focus on the latter, like you never push through, it's easy to develop that habit of not finishing. Like you just start a new project every time and every time. And so many people struggle with that. It's amazing. Like, been producing for three, four years and haven't finished a song because they just keep starting a new one each time. Yep, um, absolutely. And I think uh, um, that's definitely a, a, a core idea when it comes to um, to working is is, is balance. But uh, I mean, when I released um, the sequel to Twofold Part One, for example, um, Twofold Part Two, uh, <laughs> not much of a surprise that that's what it's named. <laughs> But uh, I felt like it was necessary to say the name anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when I finished that, um, I was in a strange headspace because f- for the first time ever, I was kind of faced with this hard deadline. And I never liked working with deadlines for my music um, mm. because I always wanted to explore the possibility of making something better if it needed to be. Yeah. Um, and I had never, I never had problems with being prolific or finishing material. So, um, uh, you know, I had enough pressure that I was putting on myself essentially. So that additional pressure of being like, Hey, have this done by then was, 
um, frustrating for me to deal with. But essentially, um, the reason I'm mentioning this is because after I told myself, okay, you know, I'm only going to, I'm going to take time and just only make stuff that I think is a hundred percent worth making. And ironically, um, through that expectation, um, I never finished ideas. Um, so I, I had, I was setting the bar unrealistically high and I kept drafting songs and telling myself, oh, no, this isn't, this isn't good enough. You know, it's, it's always missing something like it's not, um, it's too simple or, uh, you know, it's not friendly enough. Like people, people won't be able to relate to this or understand this, or there's, there's just always something it was missing. And I was just not finishing material at all. So I had like, you know, literally hundreds of sketches, but nothing, uh, nothing finished. So I suppose, I suppose maybe that would have been worth mentioning when you were asking about that, uh, <laughs> the, the two year break or so that I took. So how did you, yeah. How did you pull yourself out of that? Like wh- what did you change to start finishing stuff again? Um, well, I had a interesting with discussion with my mom recently, um, that was semi related, but, um, one of the things that she mentioned to me while we were chatting was that, uh, you got to kind of meet yourself where you're at and it's good to be ambitious. It's good to have goals. Um, but if, uh, if they're too ambitious, um, you won't have the ability to accept where you're at currently. And so, um, I think that was something that I had to kind of drill my head and, um, kind of bite the bullet on was, you know, you're, you're never going to be exactly where you want to be, but you can make the most of the circumstances you're in. And, um, and maybe a year from now you will have accomplished at least some of what it is that you're setting out to do. Yeah. I think a lot of people, including myself, put, put too much pressure on. It's so hard to finish stuff. Yeah. And I mean, nothing wrong with being a perfectionist, you know, but, um, yeah, it's certainly not an easy thing to to come to terms with. But um, yeah, if you can't if you can't accept you know the things that you have to work on, you know, like, like your weaknesses or the things that um, you know you're you're not necessarily proud of, then yeah. how do you, how do you ever plan on trying to better those? You know, if you're trying to fool yourself into thinking that they don't exist or um, something like that, it's not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah, it's so e- it's so easy for us to trick ourselves on to think we're better than we are. Yeah, that's that's why I always um, tend to take like more of a uh, psychological stance on it because that's really kind of like the core um, issue in my eyes, at least. What do you mean? Elaborate on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess um, it's just like a mastering of the mind. That's what I look at it as. It's just understanding. Um, what, uh, like trying to take like a bit of a third person view of yourself and acknowledging like, okay, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm thinking. You know, um, maybe, uh, maybe I'm trying too hard to write something complex because I have, you know, an insecurity about, um, not writing something that people will respect or something, right? Like I want people to respect me. How do I do that? Oh, let me just throw, you know, 3000 notes into this like five second time span that'll impress people. Right. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just good to be aware of, um, 
of those things and try to keep them in check as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, especially for, well, all producers, but especially new producers, because there's a whole, um, you heard of the Dunning-Kruger curve? Uh, no, I haven't. Essentially, they, I think they did a study or something, but what they found is that when people get into, uh, maybe they take up a hobby or they're starting a new skill, learning a new skill, what happens is in the first couple of weeks or months, the confidence the person's confidence goes way up, but of course mm-hmm. their competency doesn't. So that's why you get a lot of people who've started something new. Maybe it's production. Uh, maybe it's like boxing or whatever. And they talk about it a lot and they think that they're gifted. And it's because their confidence has gone way up and eventually that's going to come down and you're going to realize that actually <laughs> learning how to make music takes a lot longer than just three or four weeks. Um mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to be self-aware, in my opinion, as a new producer, because it's so easy. Like I remember when I started, downloaded FL Studio, made my first song. I thought I was the shit. Like I thought that I was God's gift to Earth. Uh, in terms of, <laughs> but like looking back, I didn't know anything. So yeah, I think it's super important for new producers to be that self-aware. But everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, really good. yeah, absolutely, and and I mean that's part of the the process is like, you know, you got to. The trick is kind of like to take advantage of that confidence without mm. letting it get out of control, right? Yeah, because there's nothing wrong with seeing that progress and being like, like, or oh, of being course, proud yeah. of something you made, right? Um, but yeah, you don't want to let it get to you either. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably where it comes from as well. Like when you start out, you're learning so much so quickly that you kind of get tricked into thinking that you're better than you are because of your accelerated learning. Now your music is melodically and harmonically complex. Like it's amazing to listen to. The songwriting is fantastic. And this is something that a lot of producers struggle with. And we've had a few people in our Facebook group ask about this specifically related to uh, this interview that we're doing, what advice would you give to those who want to make their music sound a bit more complex, maybe jazzy, or just a bit more interesting instead of the standard one four five chord progression? Um, so my stance on questions like this uh, might not be the greatest. <laughs> it's a big um, question, so I'm, I don't think you can give like a definitive answer and a podcast. Sure, sure. Well, you know, the thing is, yeah, I, I could of course mention, um, like some things like, uh, um, you know, explore chord extensions, explore yeah, yeah. inversions and stuff like that. But, um, I think the bigger picture to me is that if you are looking to explore a field of music that you feel like you're interested in and you're not knowledgeable about, but you want to learn more about, uh, to me, the underlying mentality there, um, that's the most valuable is, uh, do it yourself. Um, and that comes down to, you know, picking up an instrument and say, you know, you want to get more familiar with, you know, we're talking about melodies and harmonies. So it's like, well, naturally, the most intuitive way to do that isn't by sitting in front of a computer and mm. clicking on MIDI notes. It's, you know, you pick up a physical instrument um, because then like the translation of an idea to actual notes is way more 
immediate and mm. natural. Um, and obviously the piano is known to be one of the greatest instruments for that, but you know, obviously guitars are great too. doesn't really matter what it is, but in the end, maybe you understand the, the core aspects of a triad and then it's like, okay, well, what can I, um, what can I do to make things more interesting with the triad? Because the reason that's so important is because eventually you're going to learn, um, how to write exactly the jazzy chords that it is that you want to write currently. Mm. So then you're going to have the same issue again. You're going to say, all right, well, where do I go from here? You know, yes. Yeah, um, point. what is it that I want to learn next? And, um, you'll always get to a point where there isn't somebody there to tell you, uh, Hey, this is, this is what you should do. And, um, on top of that, there are so many resources out there for learning anything you could possibly ever want to know about. So, um, even despite that, even despite all the resources that are out there for, you know, music theory or, um, you know, music performance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think the the core idea is that you have to be willing to find ways to uh, challenge yourself and uh, think, okay, you know, like what is it that could make this chord exciting, you know, and then start experimenting, you know, add some notes, remove some notes, um, move them around, um, you know, play them differently and see what happens. And I think that's uh, more important than mentioning anything about a particular technique or, yeah, for sure. um, or anything like that. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And you kind of answered my next question, which was, do you think it's helpful to play an instrument? Which clearly it is. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of people wonder if they if you know if they haven't had any musical experience and they want to get into production, whether they should learn an instrument alongside that or just focus on music production. I'd say it depends on your musical goals. Cause I know people that are perfectly happy spending 99% of their time, um, programming music yeah, yeah. and exploring music production from that perspective. And, um, I think that's awesome, but, uh, you know, that approach just doesn't lend itself to, uh, complex songwriting usually because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's programming music. It's not very, yeah. it's very uh, quantized and exact, but if you're in front of an instrument, it can be more flexible and organic. And so, you know, if those kind of things interest you, if improvisation interests you and, and, uh, like things that you can really do in the moment, um, then, you know, maybe you'll want to take that direction and, uh, pick up an instrument. Um, but yeah, if it's not an interest to you, then yeah, nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. 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 It's either way. Great advice. Uh, one thing that stands out in a lot of your music is the use of the vocoder. How do you get it to sound the way it does? I mean, <laughs> I, I've tried, man, and it's just, it's hard. Yeah, they're, um, they can be pretty annoying to deal with. Um, so essentially, let me see, I guess, I guess the main components really are um, there's the mod and there's the carrier. Um, so those are obviously the two uh, main components, but then there's also kind of like a lot of additional ones. Um, cause I mean, you know, obviously the mic that you're using matters too. Yeah. Um, less so with vocoding than if you're, you know, tracking vocals or something. Cool. Yeah. 
but every point of processing uh, becomes a really essential part in creating the sound. So right. uh, a lot of EQing, multi-band um, compression, and uh, stereo imaging um, at basically any uh, point of the process. So, you know, you'll want to fine tune the carrier. Um, so I just use serum most of the time, but- um, Do you explain just for those people who don't know what the mod and what the carrier is? Yeah. Um, so let's see if I can do the do it justice. <laughs> but um, as, far as, as far as I understand, um, so you have the mod, which is um, usually what people use their their voice for. Yeah. Um, it can be any audio signal, though. But uh, the concept is that you have this audio signal, and it's split into bands, um, and it reads the amplitude of each one of those bands and then tells the carrier to play the same bands at that amplitude. Mm -hmm. So if you hear, um, like, uh, uh, at, you know, a certain level you hear, uh, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm making like a vowel sound or something and there's a peak at 2000 Hertz yeah. and it'll trigger that peak in the carrier. So let's say you have a saw wave, right? And that's your carrier. And my, my vocal has a peak at that 2000 Hertz, then it'll trigger um, the exact same amplitude uh, for the carrier mm. at, um, at that frequency range. And so the bands are there to kind of reduce processing. Um, you can't unfortunately have that for each frequency. So, um, you know, Ableton's goes up to, I think like 40 bands or so each vocoder is differently, but um, from what I understand, that's essentially how it works. Yeah. But yeah, so it's it, it can be kind of helpful to know that actually um, when you're trying to process uh, uh, the sound at the different stages. But um, what I found is, you know, just through experimentation and stuff is that controlling like the processing within the carrier. So like I was saying, like a, I use Serum. And so experimenting with all the different uh processing effects there then doing the same pre-vocoder in the mod mm. and then post-vocoder in the mod uh makes a big difference as well what would you do pre-vocoder i'm curious oh well um so the way it's set up in ableton and i know it's different in fl studio so um it might be different in different daws but the way that i do it in ableton is that um or the way that you vocoder in ableton is you have two tracks you have uh um, you could have, for example, a MIDI track for, um, for your carrier. Yep. So that's what I do. I just have Serum and then you have an audio track um, for your mod, but that's also where your vocoder gets slapped onto. Mm -hmm. so, um, so there's just two tracks. And then um, pre-vocoder is the raw vocal, which you don't hear. But um, it can help, for example, to have a gate on the vocal so that there's no um, background noise triggering the uh, unintentionally the the carrier, um, it can help to uh, sculpt the vocal according to what it is that you're looking for. I mean, a, a lot of times, you know, there's some messy low end stuff that I'll take out, um, but I mean, aside from that, it doesn't help to do some uh, or it doesn't hurt to do some uh, compression. Sometimes even multi band compression, throw like some uh, some OTT on there or something. Um, but then 
uh, after vocoder, it helps to do the same thing as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of compression, lots of EQing, um, and just doing that over and over at all the different stages of the, the vocoder is, um, that's been my workflow. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the best way to do it. I don't know if, <laughs> uh, there's been too many people that have really kind of like pushed that boundary, but, yeah. um, it's fun to say the least. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds really fun. And I think I know what I'm doing after this interview. Um, we get a lot of producers asking how to best start with a live performance. And I know you've got a lot of experience in this area. These are people who have been producing for a while, but want to start performing. They don't really want to do the whole CDJ thing necessarily, uh, but they want to get into that. What advice would you give for that? Well, it certainly helps to just have like a foundation of, um, of, your priorities, you know, and just mm. saying, okay, if I, if I am inspired by this, uh, you know, what is it that excites me? If it's the, the fact that somebody is actually like, you know, Oh, cool. Like there's somebody actually playing these, these notes and mm. these sounds right in front of me or something, then, um, and I want to do that, then awesome. Uh, you know, a, a good, well, for me, the way that I started doing it was just, uh, I would produce tracks and I would say, okay, this is, um, this is the song and these are the parts I could play. And then um, it evolved into a more kind of symbiotic thing where um, I would start performing tracks while I was writing them and vice versa. And then they would start influencing each other where, you know, they weren't completely separate processes. And I think uh, the further you move along, the more experience you get with it, the more they kind of can meld together um, and uh, benefit each other, essentially. Mm-hmm. that makes sense um yeah hopefully hopefully that answers the question not sure if it does but um, it wasn't the best question <laughs> <laughs> uh martin i've got two more questions for you let's say you're walking down the road you're going to get your coffee or whatever and a ufo comes along and they're going to abduct you they're going to take you away but they give you a piece of paper and a pen in 10 minutes or so and you can write three pieces of advice to music producers to leave behind uh, for the world to see. What is on that piece of paper? Um, well, the first one that comes to mind is keep doing better. Mm. Um, I think for number two, I'll say drink more caffeine. Yes. Um, and number three, uh, Try to avoid getting abducted. <laughs> nice. I think you're the first person to say that. Smart. Um, <laughs> and finally, what's coming up for you in the next 12 months that you can share? Um, well, obviously, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I've got a lot of content that I have prepared for Panorama. So I'm definitely excited to get that out. But um yeah, I've never been somebody that enjoys feeling like I have too many eggs in one basket. So um, I've got plenty of other stuff outside of the concept project that I'm working on, uh, collaborations and uh, remixes and uh, bootlegs. And, um, you know, I think think for me, I just, I really needed to kind of get the the door open again by releasing music. And now that I feel like I'm kind of back in the the arena, 
I feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of the other things that inspire me about music are going to start coming out too. Mm, I like that. All right. And if there's anyone listening to this who hasn't heard of you, where can they learn more about you and listen to your music? Uh, well, you can, um, find me if you want to Google me, you can search, um, Haywire, um, Haywire music. You can, uh, find me on Spotify or, um, I don't know. What else do people use for streaming these days? I guess some people use title. I've never met someone who uses title, but I know they exist. I just haven't met someone in real life. Yeah, I haven't either. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, SoundCloud, Facebook, wherever you might want to find me. If it's a social media platform, I'm most likely on it. Um, yeah. Awesome.